If you would, turn in the Bible to Revelation chapter 22. We are nearing the end, I think, Lord willing, we will finish our study in Revelation next week. While you're turning to Revelation 22, I want to tell Yosetis, thank you so much for singing in Spanish. If you haven't been here, uh, if you're new to our church, we, we try to do that a lot. We haven't done it in a while. It was good to see you back up there and good to hear you singing. Andrew, thank you for that. The two songs going at the same time was, was really a cool thing, and we thank you for that. Revelation 22, we looked at verses 1 through 5 last Sunday. Today we will look at verses 6 through 10. And then we will look to uh, finish it up next Sunday. The issue, as you see the title in the church bulletin, is these words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy is a good word, isn't it? Trustworthy. Are you trustworthy? Can people trust you? When you're not around, can they trust you? Are you the same person that you are to their face as you are not to their face? Trustworthy is a good word. It's kind of a big one. It's a little stronger, it seems, than being honest. Trustworthy. My dad used to use the phrase, oh, he's a crook. Y'all ever heard somebody talk like that before? I've heard my dad say that a lot. He's a crook. He's crooked. I've heard, I've heard him say about somebody, can't trust him, he's crooked. And crooked is a good word, I like that. I need to work it into my vocabulary a little bit more. Crooked is the opposite of straight, right? Straight is like that, and crooked is not a straight shooter, not being honest, not being trustworthy. All of us struggle in various ways. Some of us may struggle with being trustworthy. Some of you all may be the type that say, hey, I, you know, I may, be, I may be a sinner in this area or that area, but I will promise you this, I will always be honest. And some of y'all have a high commitment to honesty, and I, I know that. I hope that God is the most trustworthy person in the universe. He cannot lie. There is no falsehood or deceit in God. You cannot go wrong with him. He will not lead you astray. He will not let you down. You can trust him. He is worthy to be trusted. God is trustworthy. If you haven't thought about that in a while, I want to bring you back to it today, or rather, the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, is going to bring you back to that today. Everybody knows that Revelation 22 is about Jesus saying multiple times, I am coming soon. You probably knew that before we got to this chapter. I am coming soon, Jesus says, and it's in our passage today. That's going to be the bulk of the sermon next week. That will be our emphasis, Jesus saying, I am coming soon, you and I being ready. But before we study that, I want us to look at this idea that God is trustworthy. And when somebody is trustworthy, you give your whole self to believing them. Now, I don't know how you're raised. I don't really know what your home life or your mom or your grandmother were like. But if you've got a good mom who's always loved you and taught you well and she's never let you down, she's always been there for you, you trust her. 
And that's a beautiful relationship that you know that you can trust her. In that same fashion, God is to be like that, yet even more so, the ultimate one to be trusted, the best one, the loving father who has a lot to tell you and wants you to believe him. Read with me, if you will, from Revelation 22, verses six through 10. And he said to me, remember, this is the apostle John, This whole book is the one revelation. I feel like I need to say that again. I said that a whole lot at the beginning. This is not revelations. There's no S on the end of it. This is one revelation, one vision that they gave to John at one time. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw these things, sorry, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. This is a nice passage, isn't it? It seems that the bulk of the apocalyptic literature that Revelation is has ended now. We're at the epilogue. We're at the goodbyes. We're at the wrapping up of the letter at this point. The whole vision and what he's seeing and the stuff that's kind of hard to understand is finished. Now he's ending this letter. Remember that that's the kind of unique thing about this book of Revelation. It's a letter. But for the huge majority of it, you forget that it's a letter because it's apocalyptic. It's this writing about what is coming and what the end is like and this huge thing. But it is a letter, and we're getting to the end of it. Remember, it totally began like a letter. So we have John here receiving this message about the book and the message of the book and the messenger that sent the book, the one that relayed this message, the one who gave it being God, and that we are to trust it and what that means for us. Today I want to go kind of slow and make these three points. For the kids with a listening page, they are, number one, trustworthy words from God. Okay? Number two will be Trustworthy words from God through men. And number three will be trustworthy words from God through men to us. And I realize that that third point could be the whole thing, but I think there's going to be benefit today to us breaking it down and moving slowly to grasp each one of them. First off, number one, Trustworthy 
words from God. Verse 6 says, and he said to me, okay, this is John hearing, getting, receiving this message from God. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. This message is coming from God. We need to understand that God is a speaking God. He has been speaking throughout the history of the world. The Bible begins with only two people, and the Bible says that God came and walked with them in the garden and spoke to them. Okay? God communicates, and we need to make sure that we're understanding it. Now, the question becomes, not so much does God communicate, but how do we know what he's saying, and how do we know if he can be trusted? How do we know which message is from him or not from him? Because, as we know, there are lots of messages being told in the world that people often say that are from God that aren't from God. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people out there saying that they're different gods, giving different messages. But the point is, when the one true and living God, and there can only be one God, there's no way possible for there to be multiple gods because the greatest is God. So if God is communicating, he is to be trustworthy. If he's not trustworthy, then it's not God. It's a message from somebody else, from something else. But the point here is that God is giving this message. And we need to know that when God gives a message, he is to be trusted. It's not up to us to figure out, do we like that message or not? That seems to say that we don't think it's God that gave the message. Okay, If you're the one that decides what's trustworthy, then you're higher than the one that gave the message, right? If the teacher grades the paper, the teacher's automatically higher than the paper. If we're trying to determine if God is trustworthy, we've just put ourselves above the one that gave the message. And so what happens in Christianity, okay, is that we believe that the message is from God. And we're not so blind and foolish to walk around in 2023 and just pick, okay, I think that's the true one. No, there's a, there's a tradition to Christianity. There's a real history to Christianity. Some of you all hate history, and I get that. I'm in that category. But some of you all love history. I like that. I like people that like history. Hey, may I encourage you in all your love of history, you can tell us about the wars, you know the dates of the wars, you know all this, you know the generals, you know the presidents, you can just spit it off like that. I love that. May I encourage you to read a little bit of church history? May you, may you read a little bit about what Christians were doing in the year 1000. May you read a little bit about what Christians were doing in the year 100. May you read about the scholars and theologians in Africa in the first century who had just gotten away from Middle East and Jerusalem and all this persecution was going on. And so now the Bible is being preached and spread throughout Africa. And some of the sharpest people in the history of Christianity were African scholars in the first century. 
May you read about how it came this direction and it crossed the big water and read about how Christianity was going on. There's a lot of good, solid church history out there about what God was doing in the world. And you will find without any question that it was this book and the message that God had given through Jesus to the apostles to create this book that was the power working in the world. We are not foolish and blindly standing here just thinking that this out of all the books at Barnes & Noble or this out of all the books at the library is the one that we've chosen to be true. And when all of your hater friends and skeptics say that that's what we are, you don't have to fight back, but just realize that's a really, really, really weak argument. Okay? A hundred years ago, your grandparents knew people that believed this book. And a hundred years before that, their grandparents knew people that believed this book. And a hundred years before that, your grandparents, their grandparents knew people that believed this book. And go back to about 1,500, and go back to about 1,000, and go back to about 500, and go back to about 300, and their grandparents knew people that believed this book. What a terrible argument it is by the doubters to say, well, that's a book that man's written in 2,000 years ago. and That's a weak argument. That's so weak. I really do think Abraham Lincoln was our president. I do. I think Abraham Lincoln was the president of the United States of America. Never met him, never seen him. But it's some trustworthy stuff written that he was the president, right? Yeah. I do think basketball was invented by, you know, such and such, okay? Never met him, never saw it. Never actually seen a peach basket hung on a goal before. But I believe that's how it started, right? Come on now. This message is from God. And there were real people on the ground, with God, God's man, the God-man, Jesus, when this was happening. And through trustworthy means, people that turned from their sins, people that lived in humility, people that laid down their lives in service, and people that were willing to humiliate in humiliating ways, die for the cause people who were burnt at the stake in front of the town gathering, people whose heads were cut off in front of their families because they knew that this was true. Nobody's making this up. This is a message from God. And God has been communicating it that way for a long time, and people have believed it. We've gone way into the future, 2,000 years, I know that. And so there are some things to wrestle with these days. But what we're wrestling with these days is not how did this come about. This came from God through people, okay? Now let me show you how much God is emphasizing this. Our verse here now is 22.6, okay? Look back at 21.5, 21.5. And he who was seated on the throne, okay, the one seated on the throne, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Okay? Now, you may not believe that God's on a throne, and therefore you don't think these words are trustworthy and true. I get that. That's a good argument. If you don't think that's consistent, if you don't think God's God and he's on his throne, then you don't think this is trustworthy and true. But if you believe that God's God and he's your maker and he sits on the throne of heaven... Don't say that this book's not trustworthy and true. Some logic here, okay? All right, look back to verse 19.9. And the angel said to me, write this, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. All right, turn back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Verse 35, this is Jesus talking, 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's communication is key, central to what God has been doing in the world. Don't separate that. The very thing that God is doing in the world, you could argue, is the communication that he is doing through his message. Most importantly, the message of his son, who is the word made flesh, who came into the world to die for sinners. Look at Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. That's one of the best sounds in a church, and I know more and more people are using the, the Bible on their phone, but one of the best sounds in a church is we just pause and hear all the pages turning as you are trying to look into what God is saying. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Old Testament, New Testament, Gospels, the very words of Jesus, the revelation to John, the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible is emphasizing that God is a trustworthy God who has sent a message to his world, to his people, and that we are to be understanding that. We are to be believing it. Josh Womble read the passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of the biggest ones. Listen to these words. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word of God is the trustworthy words from God. John Stott, writing about trustworthy words from God, says this. To accept the authority of the Bible is a Christian thing to do. It is neither a religious eccentricity nor a case of discreditable obscurantism, but it's the good sense of Christian faith and humility. It is essentially Christian because it is what Christ himself requires of us. The traditional view of Scripture, that it is God's words written, is the Christian view of Scripture precisely because it's Christ's view of Scripture. If Jesus really was a man who was born of a virgin because he came from heaven, because he is the second person of the eternal God, the Trinity, and he says the Bible is the Bible and the truth is the truth and the word is the word and it's trustworthy, everybody in the history of creation that does not believe it is wrong. And it is correct, regardless of what everybody else says, to believe 
the trustworthy words from God. There's a challenge for us these days of do we believe what God says? That challenge at times is challenging, but it is less challenging when you believe that a trustworthy God gave it. In the same way that you are still acting in some ways today, based off your good, loving, trusting mother. When I was a kid out in the yard, I said something I shouldn't have said, and my mom dragged, dragged or drug, dragged me. Depends on what group I'm talking to if I say dragged or drug me. Dragged me inside, took me to her bathroom, and pulled out a bar of Dow soap. And she crammed that thing in my mouth until my mouth was filled with soap suds, gagging. And I was probably seven years old, and she said to me, you like this? And she said, if I ever hear you talk like that again, you'll eat soap again. And I want you all to know, it worked. It worked. Hey, my mom loves me, and I trust her. She's trustworthy on so many things. She's not God, so I don't trust her with every single possible message in the whole world. She's got some flaws, but she's trustworthy. So is God. And what God says, you can trust him. These are the trustworthy words from God. But the trustworthy words from God, this is what gets really good because God is brilliant. God is brilliant. God knew that just saying I got a message from God is about as subjective as subjective gets, right? If I came here today and say I got a message from God and I just spilled to you all all that I thought or what I slept on last night or what I dreamed about or whatever, you'd be like, well, who says? Who says? And I can sit here and go, well, I do because God told it to me. And you should give me one of those like, uh, I don't know about that. Because that's so subjective. It's not objective, it's subjective. Anybody can say that. And God knew. God knows and God knew that that was gonna be the case. People do it all the time. They did it then, they do it now. They did it 100 years ago, they did it 1,000 years ago. They did it thousands of years ago. They'd say, here's a message from God. And everybody'd be like, well, how do we know? So God knew what he was doing. Hey, write that down. Y'all ever said that before? Hey, make sure you got that in writing. And this is what God has done for us. He wrote his truth, his message down. And he wrote it down through people. My second point here today is the trustworthy words from God through men. Look back at Revelation 22. Verse six says, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse seven, and behold, I am coming soon. Again, we're gonna deal with that uh, uh, more next week, the whole coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, well, John's the only person seeing this vision, okay? How did it get to where other people are gonna be blessed by keeping it? Well, John was an apostle. John was one of the few, the 12, chosen face-to-face -face by Jesus, person-person, man-on-man, in the flesh, 
He spent time with him. Jesus invested in him, and what the apostles did is they took the message and they wrote it down for us, and that's what's happening here. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. There is value in you saying, I believe this. There's value in you saying, I'm going to commit my whole life to this. You'll be blessed from that. A neat theme here, if you'll turn back to the very beginning of Revelation, chapter 1. Turn back to chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Look at this. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Y'all, 1, 3 and 22, 7 almost say the exact same thing. 1, 3 and 22, 7 almost say the exact same thing. 22, 7 says, behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Look at 22.8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. So anywhere, in other words, what God is doing here with this book is God is the trustworthy one who has given these words to people. Here, John. But the whole Bible is him doing it through people. This is a good thing. This is what revelation is. There's a category in study called the doctrine of revelation. That is, this is the way that God makes himself known to man. This is important to understand, okay? You go to any religion, you go to any study, you study history, you study philosophy or whatever, it's how do we know that that thing you're teaching is true? That's called the doctrine of revelation. How does God make himself known to man? What we have here is God telling us over and over again that he's the trustworthy one, and you trace it back, and you see to where he is dealing with his message that's being communicated. And the very thing that God has opposed throughout history is when people claiming to know God speak wrongly about him. They misrepresent him. They speak false things about him. Now, what separates Christianity, if you're paying attention from any other religion in the world is that there's a time when theirs began. Just out of the blue, out of nowhere, it started. It's a self-made religion. We know when it began. But Christianity is not at all like that. For creation begins with the God of Christianity. The beginning of time begins with the God of Christianity. Christianity is totally not something that started with Christ 2,000 years ago. Christianity totally is what God has been doing since the foundation of the world from the very beginning. And his word makes clear to communicate that. 
This did not just start with Jesus. It is all about Jesus. We see the Trinity from the beginning, the very beginning of creation, and we see him pointing to a Savior throughout all the Bible. It's all about Jesus. But the point here is there's not a beginning to this, 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 this God. There's not a beginning to this religion. For what God is doing in the world is what God is doing in the world since he created the world. Our faith, the very worship that we're doing here this morning on February the 19th, 2023 in Fairdale, Kentucky, finds its roots in, in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That God is the God we worship today by way of Jesus Christ, his son, who was in creation, who is the creator, who the New Testament says he has authority, authority over all things. He, 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 all things were created through him and by him and for him, Colossians says, and God sent him to be the savior of the world. We understand the one true God who created it all, who's been working since the very beginning through his son, Christ. And God has revealed that through people. Trustworthy words from God through men. That's what's happening here. This is John. And that's what's been happening throughout the revealing of the word of God. Let me show you an example. If you can find it, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to show you this. If you've never seen this one before, you're going to like it. Paul is the apostle. John is an apostle. This is a different apostle, Paul. He's writing this letter to a church, the Thessalonian church. Look at verse 13. I'm talking about how trustworthy words from God through men. Verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that one little verse in the New Testament inspired by God that sums up really all that I'm trying to say? God spoke through men to that church they believed what the men said, and they believed what the men said because it was the power of God working through those men to deliver the word of God. The trustworthy God does it that way. The trustworthy God does it that way. That's the way he does it. And Revelation 22 says, blessed are you if you receive this book and believe this book. Blessed are you if you commit to this book and you believe the words of God and you keep them. Wilcock writes, the attentive, obedient study of scripture, therefore, of this last book of the Bible, which sums it up, produces not a mind stuffed with knowledge, but a spirit quickened into life. Think about that. The book is living the book is true. The book is a voice from God delivered to us. It's a communicated message from the almighty God creator to you and I, it, and it came through men. It is such a good thing. Trustworthy words from God through men. 
Now, Wilcox got an extended quote here about this, so, so bear with me. In speaking about this, that it's a trustworthy word from God through men, here's what he says. He says, here it is filled out. And we may learn much from it concerning the method and the matter, the value and the validity of God's revelation of himself. His method has always been to convey messages about himself through certain chosen men, supremely, of course, through his son. But before the brief years of the son's incarnation, okay, Jesus wasn't always here, it was the goodly fellowship of the prophets. And afterwards, it was the glorious company of the apostles who were his messengers. This self-revealing Lord is named, here in verse 6 of Revelation, as the God of the spirits of these men, wielding divine authority over their minds and hearts. The free play of their literary skill or human temperament is in no way denied. What is asserted is that the message they pass on represents precisely the truths which the God who is dealing with their spirits requires to be passed on. The word of God finds its roots in the God who is communicating. And he has done that through people. You need to embrace today that God is speaking. He speaks through his word. And he's trustworthy. And that's not rooted in some cloud of a message. That's rooted in real people that believed it with their whole heart because they had experienced him face to face. And God told them to write it down for us. And that has been preserved. Trustworthy words from God. Trustworthy words from God through men. Lastly, number three, trustworthy words from God through men to us. This is remarkable. This shows you the heart of our Father in heaven. This is what separates the true God from all of the fakes. Their messages aren't that good to begin with. Their messages aren't that helpful to begin with. They tell us all the things that we need to do when, when we look in the mirror, we realize that we just can't. It's so weak and shallow to try to make our lives about God when we're so not godly. Instead, God's message is a revealing message about how good he is, about how fallen we are, how short we are at accomplishing what we are supposed to be doing, and yet he loves us and would send his son to be the answer for that. God's the one that shows us his standard, his law, shows us that we've fallen short of that, and then sends the one to complete the standard and law and complete it perfectly, and then give him up for us. God has not told you to be good enough. God's told you that you're bad enough by showing you a beautiful picture of godliness and holiness, which is a picture of himself, and then he provides the means to bring you back. He sent Christ to die for you. His message reveals that. It's a message that nobody could have thought up, and it's a message that nobody's been able to duplicate. It's a message that stands alone as being life-changing. It's a message that stands alone as being the good news that satisfies souls. It's a message that is living and active and able to cut deep, 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 inside your skin, through your bones, to your heart, past all the physical, to the spiritual and emotional, and break your heart down saying, I need help. I need a savior. And God says, if you need a savior, I got one for you. I've got a son who is all of my goodness and holiness, and I sent him to the cross for you. This book communicates that message to us. 
Oh, what a bad thing it is for us to try to do this life without this message. Oh, what an error we make when we try to do church or goodness or morality without God's good message. Oh, what an error we make when we try to live for God without God's means, without God's truth. God gave this message for us. I started college in 1998. I went to Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, which you've never heard of. I know that. And I didn't have an email yet when I started college, if you can imagine that. I did get my first email in 1998, but I didn't have one when I first started. So you know what we really loved back then? Real mail. I don't know how you feel about real mail now. Maybe it's all bills for you. But back then, as a college student, I didn't have bills, and I loved real mail. Loved it. I was 500 miles from home and didn't get to go home much. And so every day, walk over to the student center, get me something to eat, and check my mailbox. And the majority of the time, 90% of the time or whatever, it was empty. There was nothing in there. And you thought, man, is anybody thinking about me? Does anybody care? They know that I'm here. You know, why are people not writing to me? I wish I could get just a letter from somebody, my friends, my church, my coach, my family, somebody. And then every once in a while, you'd show up there, right? You'd show up there. You open up your mailbox, and you have a letter written in ink on the front. And you open that up, and it's a handwritten letter just to you. Hey, Josh, how you doing? I know we haven't talked in a while just want to check up on you. I want you to know, man, we miss you up here. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're going to class and staying out of trouble and staying focused on the Lord. Just a handwritten letter. And you've received something like that before, and you think, wow, that's awesome. Man, that really lifted my spirits. That was good for me. They care about me. They love me. They're thinking of me. All those days that I didn't get a letter were soon forgotten because of the incredible impact of that letter. Folks, I know everybody you know has this letter, but God has given a revealed message to you and to the world that you would know he wants to be your father in heaven, that you would know that he loves you in such a way that he sent Christ to die for you, that you would believe it, receive him, and trust him. That you would stop trying to trust in other things that aren't as trustworthy. That you would stop trying to look in the mirror and stick your chest out enough and pump yourself up enough to face another day in your own strength. Because that's a self-made religion. But you would bow your knee and bow your heart and trust fully in the love of God through Christ and say, God, the God of heaven, who has a message, is my Father, my Savior. I believe him. He gave this word to us for me, and I believe it. Dr. Moeller says, the Bible is our only sufficient source, an unerring rule of faith, and the Christian reflex to turn to the Bible is always right. These are the trustworthy words from God through men to us. Look back at Revelation 22, though. Neat little part here in verse 8. He says, I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things, when I heard and saw them, look at this, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. Now, this is odd. This is not the new apostle John that just got off the side of the sea and just got off the boat, and he hasn't been discipled yet. 
This is John that has been persecuted time and time again for the sake of the Lord Jesus. This is John who is at least three years into his mentorship, apprenticeship as being a follower of Christ. This is John who has seen Jesus die on the cross and rise from the grave and ascend up into heaven. This is the apostle John. And he still falls into worshiping angels? He does. That ought to be an encouragement to you every time you struggle. Even John struggled. At the very end of the Bible, on the last page of the Bible, in the last chapter of the Bible, the hero, the apostle John, who is known throughout the gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. If there ever was a guy in the New Testament other than Jesus that we thought was so awesome, it's the apostle John. And on the last page of the Bible, he bows down to worship an angel. And the angel has to say to him, verse 9, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. If there ever was a two-word phrase to sum it all up, it's that. Worship God. And John gets it wrong at the very end here. What's funny about this is that this isn't the first time this has happened to John. Look at chapter 19. Verse 9, 19.9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Verse 10. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. John does this. I guess John gets so caught up in the moment that sometimes he's just ready to worship. He'll worship anything he can. He'll worship the first thing that's closest by instead of worshiping God. That should be an encouragement to you every time you get distracted too. Sometimes you get caught up in things. Sometimes you think family is more important than Jesus. Sometimes you think friendship is more important than Jesus. Sometimes you think you is more important than Jesus in your struggles when actually he's the one on the throne with a trustworthy message from you. Sometimes we get too busy to read this message. Sometimes we get too busy to come to church and hear this message. Sometimes we get too distracted to come to church and listen to this message. I know, I'm the same way. Yesterday, Val was telling me something. I said, Val, sometimes I'm not that good at listening. She said, you think? <laughs> but see, the good thing about God is that he forgives sins. You can't sin enough to get yourself away from him if you're trusting in Christ. Now, you do sin enough to keep yourself away from him without Christ. That's the whole message. But in Christ, holding on to him and this eternal love that he has for you, you are his. And Christ's holy blood, sinless blood, is absolutely enough to forgive all of your sins, the ones that you're going to do later today, if you're holding fast to Christ. What a message. And God gave this book to make sure everybody can know that message. There is zero subjectivity to the love that God has for sinful people like me and you. There is zero subjectivity that God has for fallen, struggling people like this world is full of. There is zero subjectivity to the love that God has for a crooked, evil world that is rebelling against him. He loves them and he sent his son to die for them. He says it right here. There is no way that you can question it, deny it, twist it, or change it. Blessed is the person who hears this message and keeps it. It's the word of God. But notice how it ends. Look at verse 10. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. 
Usually, in apocalyptic literature, it's like, hey, that day's coming in the future. Seal it up, hold it tight, you'll understand it later. But since we're in the end times, we're in the last days, that's no longer the message. Let me give you an example. When we start talking about apocalyptic literature in the Bible, it's almost always Revelation and Daniel and maybe a little bit of of, of the other prophets, okay? Well, listen to what it says in Daniel, okay? And you've heard these passages before. You don't have to turn there. We're running out of time. Daniel 12. Listen to what it says right here, Daniel 12. Daniel gets these types of messages, okay? Daniel chapter 12 Verse 4, 12, 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. See, we've got the book and what he's receiving here. But Daniel, the prophet, who got this message from God, is told, seal it up. Shut up the words and seal the book until a certain time, until the end. And at the very end of the Bible, when the apostle John is receiving this message, he says, don't do that. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Next week's passage, we'll get into that very thing. The message that the time is near, time is short, we are at the end, he is coming soon. He says it time and time again that he is coming soon. This message, this word, this book, this revealing that God has given of himself is what you need more of in your lives. You need to believe the Bible. You need to trust that God is trustworthy. You need to say, I think you already do say this, You need to say, I'm not sure what to believe. I don't know what messages are true. There's a lot of messages going on right now. Not sure what to think about this, or I'm not sure what to think about that. That's what we all say every time we watch the news. I'm not sure what to think. I'm not sure what to believe. But God has given you a trustworthy word that did not, going back to my first point, that did not just fall out of the sky. This trustworthy word has been for his people from the beginning. And he tells you to try it. He tells you to test it. He begs you to believe it. My kids are growing up, and as they're growing up, they're getting into more foods, and they've got things that they like to eat, and that's kind of fun to talk about that. We got favorite foods now. It's a fun conversation. And one of the things that my kids are really starting to like is like Taco Bell. And Taco Bell's good. I can handle that. I like it. Mexican food. Not exactly Mexican food, but we call it Mexican food, right? And if you've ever had some good Mexican food like El Nopal, that's what we would think is good Mexican food, right? El Nepal is excellent. They got two right beside each other now in Outer Loop. If you ever had some good Mexican food, you realize, man, this is way better than Taco Bell, right? It's way better than Taco Bell. But if you talk to a kid 
who's never had some good Mexican food or never really had something that, a, that an actual Mexican person made for them that's all good and fresh and just awesome. They've never been to El Nopal and watched them bring out like the fajitas that are on fire and they've got the hot plates and you can't touch it and it's smoking and sizzling. Everybody smells. It's just so good, right? They'll say to you, oh, that's no good, man. I just want my Taco Bell. And you're like, to think, right? To think that the Taco Bell version of the super fresh, sizzling, hot, smelling so good version, to think that the Taco Bell version is better is just to be wrong. Now, I'm not getting into tastes and preferences, okay? I'm not getting into tastes and preferences. You can have your own taste. Some people like this, some people like that. To each his own, I get that. But to think that that sorry, frozen version is better than this awesome version is just wrong. And you know what? There are a lot of people out there that are thinking, I'm not so sure this is trustworthy. I'd rather trust that. And folks, in the case of Mexican food, it's not a problem with El Paul. It's a problem with you and your taste buds. No offense to Taco Bell, I like it. But to say that that's better is not to say there's something wrong with El Nepal. It's to say that there's something wrong with your taste buds. If you think there's another message out there that is more trustworthy than this trustworthy God, the problem isn't this. The problem is your taste buds. The problem is what you're willing to believe, who you think's right, what you think's best. God is trustworthy, and you should trust him. May God rise up or raise up here a group of people like us that say, I'm going to trust God and his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, God, for revelation. Week after week, it has been such a good source for us. God, we look to it and we believe it and we trust it. God, thank you that your word attests to itself that it is trustworthy. Thank you, God, for the way that you did it from you through people delivered down to the churches and now to us. Thank you, God, that you care for us. Like a letter in the mailbox of a college student, God, your word is sweet, sweeter than a honeycomb to us. So we read it, we look at it, we believe it. Father, we need Christ Jesus as Lord of our lives in order to believe your word. And thank you, God, that it reveals that message that Christ came to die for us. Oh, Father, work in us now that we would say your word is trustworthy because you are trustworthy, and we believe it. In your name we pray, amen.